We come to our second sermon on corporate prayer tonight, entitled The Biblical Blessing of Corporate Prayer Meetings. As we begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great privilege to come to you, knowing that you hear us, Lord. Lord, what a great privilege to come together and worship, knowing that you meet us and and speak to us and work in our lives. So as we come to your word now, give us wisdom and insight. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, our hearts that understand and embrace the truth that is revealed to us. May our time be profitable. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1803... A report from the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in the United States noted this of recent revivals that had taken place as part of the second Great Awakening in America. This was their notes, that most of the accounts of revivals communicated to them stated that the institution of prayer societies or seasons of special prayer to God generally preceded the remarkable displays of divine grace with which our land has been recently favored. In most cases, preparatory to signal effusions of the Holy Spirit, the pious have been stirred up to cry fervently and importunately that God would appear to vindicate his own cause. So as the Presbyterian Church is looking at revival that has taken place, and in among it, it's saying, uh, in most cases where this has taken place, before that time, there was a time of special seasons or societies of prayer coming together for such things. Ian Murray notes in, in his book on revival, that in the 1790s, right before the Second Great Awakening, just before God pours His Spirit out in revival, that before any general indications of a new era were to be seen, is that there was a growing concern among Christians to pray. Later on, when the evidence of the records from those years was compared, it was recognized that across the Union, From Connecticut to Kentucky, the 1790s were marked by a new spirit of intercession. So when we look at the the Second Great Awakening, beginning in 1795, uh, as we look back in history, we can see uh, before that, in in the early 1790s, uh, there was a a time of prayer happening. Tonight we come to the biblical blessing of corporate prayer meeting. We're seeking to answer the question, what happens when the church gathers corporately to pray? What is the fruit of gathering for corporate prayer? Uh, Is there any specific blessing for us to come together and pray corporately to God? And as the introduction notes, uh, there is. And we'll see that blessing tonight. John Piper notes of prayer meetings that he says, prayer meetings shape the world. And so it's through, as we look at uh, something like the Great Awakenings, we can look at the prayers. And the prayers of, of God's people coming together to pray 
were the means God used by his grace to bring about a great outpouring of the Spirit on this nation. So put simply, what's the blessing of corporate prayer? The kingdom of God advances by means of corporate prayer. This is by God's grace. So tonight I want to look first at the promises that are given to corporate prayer. This will be a little review from last week. And then we want to look at four specific areas that we see answers and blessing and fruit from corporate prayer. But first, the promises. What sort of promises are we given for corporate prayer? And, and for this, we look at Matthew 18 again. This, we said this last week, and then I think we should review it again. Let me read Matthew 18, 19, and 20. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And we note in this text, Jesus says, if if two of you come together and and agree on on anything, uh, I am there in the midst and I will give a particular blessing to the answer of that prayer. If two of you agree on earth, about anything, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And note, they're just not asking for anything. What is the purpose? One, they're unified. They're coming together. They're agreeing on something. And they're coming together in God's name. For where two or three are gathered in my name, not, not just for their own purposes, for their own cause, when they're gathered, unified in God's name, for God's purposes, for His glory, He promises His special blessing on such prayers. Pastor Martin summarizes this uh, text this way, Our Lord envisions His church invested with the keys of the kingdom, graced with the promise of His special presence, and carrying out its mission in the context of a symphony of corporate prayer. One other text we looked at real quickly in 1 Timothy 2, after Paul urges that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And then in verse 3 it says this, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. That could mean living a godly and dignified life, but it could also mean the praying is is good and pleasing. And the results of that prayer, uh, which is a, a quiet and dignified life, that is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Corporate prayer meetings are good and pleasing in the sight of our God. He delights when his people come together uh, to ask things of him, to call on his name. And do you not think that something God delights in, he also blesses? 
And we see that. So those are the promises really by way of review that last week. So I said that when the church prays corporately, the kingdom of God advances. Four aspects of kingdom advancement I want to, I want to see, uh, us to see as we look at the scriptures. These are not uh, obviously all that could be said of the fruit and blessing of, of corporate prayer, but I think these are four things that became clear as I looked at these texts. And number one, leaders are added by corporate prayer. Corporate prayer is essential for the recognition and addition of church leaders. With this, would you turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 1. Many of the texts we looked at last week, we're going to look at again this week, uh, and in, in a different angle, asking a different question, and we'll likely look at them again next week, asking a different question, because these same texts, particularly in Acts, have much to teach us on corporate prayer. So here, it was read for us, is Jesus ascends, he says the Spirit is coming, the, the apostles and the women and other, Jesus' brothers, they're gathered together in Jerusalem, and we're told in verse 14 that they were all with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer. And then uh, as they pray, Peter speaks and, and notes uh, that they need to select an apostle to replace Matthias, uh, to replace Judas. Uh, two men are brought forward and, and they pray and Matthias is selected. They also cast lots before they uh, choose Matthias. <clears throat> so just one thing about that. Should we cast lots before we uh, select a leader? Well, not, we must ask ourselves in the book of Acts 1, is this normative or is this merely descriptive of what is happening in the church? That not everything in, in the book of Acts is replicable today. We can't repeat Pentecost. The Spirit comes in a unique way and a unique time in Pentecost. And so not the selection of the, the replacement 12th apostle cannot be redone today. This is a unique uh, thing. Lots were cast in the Old Testament at times for discerning God's will. We do see it here, but there is no mention of lots after this in it at all, let alone in the selection of leaders. It seems that after the Spirit has come in Pentecost, this is no longer needed. But what is still needed and what is still noted after this time is prayer. So let's, let's think about this text a little bit more when it's talking about the selection of leaders. So Jesus ascends, the church comes together, and they're praying. And this is not just a one-hour, two-hour prayer meeting. It, it, it was a several day. They were gathered together, and they were regularly devoting themselves to prayer. It's going to be ten days till Pentecost comes. So they, they're praying more than, than once here. And what did they pray for? Well, Jesus said the Spirit's coming, so they must have prayed for the Spirit to come. 
a lot had just happened in their lives. Just think about, they're with Jesus, he's executed, their hopes are dashed, he's resurrected, he, he's, he's with them for a time, and now he's ascended to heaven. And, and their minds, their souls are stirring, I, I can imagine. They may be praying to to God, what do we do next? Where do we go from here? What happens when the the Spirit comes? Maybe they're they're thinking about, they want some clarity for, for what has happened. They're praying that God help them. I think they're definitely reflecting on the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures, trying and praying uh, grant us under what have we missed here? Give us understanding. And I can picture as they're reflecting on the scriptures that the Holy Spirit gives Peter some clarity to the situation. That the basis of Peter's uh, observations here come from the scripture. His position that they need to replace Judas comes from his from the 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 Bible. He, he defines Judas's life in terms of what the Old Testament speaks about him. May his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. This is from Psalm. And then, he's, then he quotes another psalm, let another take his place, let another take his office. So the Holy Spirit, through the reflection and prayer on the Scriptures, is giving Peter insight and wisdom. And as the church is praying, um, they are brought to, we need, we need another apostle. We need, uh, uh, there needs to be 12 apostles. This is significant. And so we need to bring uh, this disciple uh, forward. And so Peter gives the qualifications. Two guys seem to meet the qualifications, and they pray again, and then they select Matthias after casting lots. Some people uh, think they shouldn't have done this, but waited for the Spirit at, at Pentecost, but the, Luke never tells us that what they did is, is wrong, so we must assume that uh, this was uh, godly, and it was based upon Peter's uh, reflection on the scriptures here that God was using. So, so this is what happens. The church is praying. God moves uh, the church by a biblical reflection of their need for a, for a leadership position. And the Spirit guides them by prayer to select Matthias for this position. And, and being that twelfth apostle is, is absolutely essential. So who, who knows what would have happened if the church just got together and, and twiddled its thumbs? What, what do we do now? Jesus, we're just going to wait around for Jesus. No, we're going to pray. They prayed. And in praying, that was used to bring spirit-wrought insight into the Scriptures and biblical wisdom in selecting an apostle. So this is one example of how a leader is added to the church by means of the church coming together in corporate prayer. Second example, turn over to Acts 13. This was read for us. It, it lists some leading men in verse 1 there from the church at Antioch. 
While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So here is a church enjoying the means of grace that God has given to it. They were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Now, fasting is, is noted here, so, and we must assume prayer was going along with fasting. And so this must have been a special season that they were seeking blessing from the Lord. We're not sure what they were seeking or, or, or why, but, but it seems to be a, a more intensified uh, prayer and, and worshiping time. But maybe they were seeking the Lord's will. How do we, how do we expand the gospel's impact around us? And in the midst of this intensified worshiping, fasting, praying season, the Holy Spirit moves the church to greater missions. In the midst of this worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit uh, speaks, and, and we're not quite sure how, how the Holy Spirit made it known. There were prophets at that time. There, we don't know, but it was clear the Holy Spirit was telling this church, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas. I have a special work for them and, and set them apart. So that's what comes to them as they're praying. So they set Paul and Barnabas. And then they fast and pray again. To, to pray for their, their, their calling, their mission that the Holy Spirit has called them to do. And then they send them off. So do you see what corporate prayer is doing here? It's being used by God to awaken the need for biblical office bearers to be set apart for particular services for kingdom advances. Paul Miller comments on this text, I think, helpfully. He said, notice the Spirit's signature move. Surprise. Just before this, Luke mentions the five key leaders of the church at Antioch. Two of the five, Paul and Barnabas, likely the most gifted of the five, are selected by the Spirit. What church in its right mind sends off its senior pastor and executive pastor into missions? The Spirit pulls apart this highly successful multi-ethnic leadership team, thus seemingly weakening the church in Antioch in order to grow the church in the wider Roman Empire. Only the Spirit of Jesus can lead us into impossible tasks that we never dreamed about. The church could not have come up with this plan on its own. Uh, Paul, or Saul here, but Paul as we know him, he likely was very significant for the ministry at the church at Antioch. Why not keep your best guy rooted in the, in the church there and, and use him in a one singular base to, to, to have others send? But that's not what the Spirit says. It's, I want Paul and I want Barnabas and they're the ones that are going to go. So, so be prepared for surprises when, you, when you're praying corporately to the Lord of, of, of how he works. It may be surprising. But also see how the Spirit is using this uh, in the Apostle Paul's own life. 
We know that after Saul's conversion, he, was, he struggled to find acceptance in the church. He went to Jerusalem, and people were sort of scared of him because this guy was breathing threats down their life. He finds encouragement with Barnabas. And, so, and, and God had given him a, a task. He told him, you're, you're going to testify. You're going to suffer many things. You're going to proclaim my name. And so Paul has maybe pr- been praying, where is this ministry coming? I'm not quite accepted by the, the mother church. And I'm, I'm off at Antioch, and, and, and things are encouraging here, but, but where, where is this uh, more useful ministry uh, coming? And God uses this church's pray, praying and worshiping as a means to launch Paul into his ministry. So all of this apostle's life and ministry as a Christian... We think of what happens after Acts 13. All of the Apostle Paul's mission, all the churches that are planted, all of the converts that are made. At one point, Paul can say, all of Asia, no. I've, I've told all of Asia. All of this ministry began from his home church at Antioch, gathering in the Spirit to pray. And God used that to launch, God used that that church's prayers to launch the Apostle Paul's ministry. So stuff happens when the church prays together. So as we look at at the ministry landscape in, in our nation, many churches are finding it difficult to have a pastor to find a pastor. Many churches are, are, are struggling to, to raise up uh, leadership. We must always be praying for God to raise up leaders among us. We must be praying for God to provide the needs of his church. And, and we must not be content with the bare minimum that if, if your church has the leaders its needs, Don't stop there. Pray for the needs of other churches. Pray that your church would be used of God to start other churches, to send missionaries into the world, to be used of God to fill pulpits in every nation. Pray that God would raise leaders from among us. God can use very small means uh, and do great things through that. So I, I hope at some point we would send people from us to the mission field to plant churches, to pastor churches, Lord willing. But we have to pray if we want things like that to happen. And God will bless those prayers. So one, leaders are added to the church by corporate prayer. Second, hindrances to the gospel uh, advancement are removed. Hindrances to gospel advancement are removed. Now we must qualify hindrances because what may be a hindrance to us may be actually an opportunity for the gospel to be advanced. Remember Paul and Silas and Philippi? They're They preached the gospel at this prayer meeting of these Jewish women. 
people are getting saved, and then the, the leaders of the city are moved, and they, they unfairly arrest Paul. They're, they're deep in some prison somewhere, and, and we might say, well, this is a hindrance to the gospel. But Paul and Silas aren't moved. They're, they're, they're singing hymns in the middle of the night, and God uh, opens all of the, the <coughs> cells. The, the jailer is about to take his own life, and Paul stops him and has an opportunity to preach the gospel, and he, he's saved, his household saved. Much gospel advancement came from what would we call a hindrance. However, there are hindrances to the gospel. There is an enemy, Satan, and, and a whole force that is working and plotting in his, all his demonic power to hinder gospel advancement. And we must pray against that, and God answers those prayers. A few examples here. Once again in the book of Acts, chapter 12. About that time, in verse 1, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So the gospel's going forth. The gospel has now come to the Gentiles. It's, it's an exciting time. And then things get very seriously. James is killed. In fact, Herod laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. So I take that as more than just James were killed. But James was the one noted. Peter's arrested. Herod finds, hey, this pleases the Jews. I'm going to wait till after Passover, and I'm going to kill him too. You can imagine the sobering effect this was on the church. Whoa. Our, our one core leader has died. Other people have died. Peter's in prison. So Peter was kept in prison, verse 5, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now we don't know how long Peter was in prison because Herod was keeping him till, till after the Passover. So there was a season of prayer because it says now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, so Peter had been in prison, we don't know how long, but it seems that the church had been regularly gathering to pray because when God miraculously delivers, he goes to a house where they are praying for him. And it's interesting that when, when they get there, they, they're surprised that Peter is actually there. Now, I assume they were, they were praying for his deliverance, but maybe they assumed that the deliverance wasn't going to come. This one commentator said, maybe they remembered, eh, Peter under pressure doesn't do very well. He denied the Lord before. We need to pray for him. So Peter and the church is surprised when God uses the prayers to, to open the gates of the jail and he's released. 
What, what it, would it have been if Peter would have died then? It was not his time to die. There was more to do. This, uh, this agent of Satan, Herod, was used to try to hinder the mouthpieces of God. And, and would it not be of Satan to go after the, the, the core leader at this time, Peter? I'm going to take him out. And he's got one of his soldiers imprisoned, imprisoning Peter, and he's ready to take him out. But the church is praying, and the gates break open, and Peter is free. This hindrance to the gospel is moved, and Peter is allowed to live and to continue his gospel ministry. In the book of Philippians, Apostle Paul, he's in prison. He said God's used this imprisonment for greater advancement of the gospel, but he still wants to be freed in verse 19. For I know, chapter 1, that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. God is using this for my good. He's using this imprisonment for my good, but I know he's going to turn this out for my better. I want to do more, more ministry. That's what he says. To live as Christ, to die as gain. It's better to stay here, alive, because there's gospel work to do. And so he's trusting that the church's prayers, your prayers, church, are going to help deliver me from being bound in this prison so that I can then go uh, give greater advancement of the gospel and speak the gospel. And that does happen. His prayers, uh, their prayers, the church's prayers are answered here. One other text here, 2 Corinthians 1.11. We looked at this last week. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. And that's after Paul details all of these horrific afflictions and difficulties. God delivered us from deadly peril. On him we have set our hope. He'll deliver us again. And we thank you for the help that your prayers have been for that. The apostle was a was experienced all sorts of onslaught, spiritual and physical in his life, and God used the, the corporate praying of the church to, to push some of that back and to allow the Apostle Paul to continue to advance in the ministry. So there's a spiritual battle raging. The church of Jesus Christ is being opposed by the gates of hell. Satan and his enemies uh, and his forces are seeking to hinder gospel advancement. And one of the means used in overcoming and thwarting his power is that the church gathers to pray corporately. That's one of our uh, uh, battle tactics. That's one of our instruments we have. And breaking these spiritual strongholds is coming together in prayer. An example of this comes in the, the missionary life of James Fraser. James Fraser was went to live among the Lizu people in China in the year 1911. And he had some success initially. But he found that most people that believed 
especially if their family did not believe along with them, uh, the force of the demonic powers and the idolatry of this community uh, would, would easily draw them back. And so uh, this is, was noted by him, <clears throat> Paul Miller notes this, of James Fraser. Confronted with the enormity of the opposition, Fraser responded with a campaign of long-distance corporate prayer. He cultivated a prayer team back in England and fed their prayers with frequent letters about the Lizu, their villages, and their customs. In one letter, he describes their annual Sword Ladder Festival, when a shaman placated the demons by climbing a ladder of upturned swords. He asked his prayers to target specific villages and valleys and even witch doctors who were particularly hostile to faith. Fraser knew that the spiritual forces he faced could be defeated only through united prayer. So he knew this, the spiritual forces of darkness here are great. I need a prayer team. And, and he began to correspond with a group in England. And much didn't seem to happen immediately. In fact, he was still trusting God, but he thought, I'm not seeing fruit here. I'm going to write my mission agency to re- redirect me to some other place for more useful service. But he went on one more preaching uh, campaign uh, among these people. And as he did, one family uh, wanted to turn to Christ. And he was a bit suspicious, but it, but it was genuine. And then within a few days of this preaching, seven families had burned all their idols. In village after village, families burned their idols and turned to Christ. Within two months, 129 families, totaling 600 Lizu, had, come, had become believers. We just see the power of that, that prayer uh, unleash itself in these people. And Fraser went, went on to have a very successful uh, work there. In fact, he, he eventually translated the New Testament. And today, there are 1.5 million Lizu and 1.3 million are believers. One young Lizu, when interrogated by the communists, said, Christianity has already penetrated into our flesh and blood and it will not be easy to tear it away from us. So we look back on this man and his gospel efforts and his calling together a corporate prayer meeting in behalf of his missionary uh, efforts, by God's grace, led to this great breakthrough in this community that still has lasting effects today. Stuff happens when people pray together. Thirdly, greater experience of the Spirit's power and strength. All of us as believers have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, but we can experience greater levels of the Spirit's power in our lives, greater level of the Spirit's strength working through us. 
Let's think about Acts chapter 1 again. What precedes the day of Pentecost? It's, it's this Acts chapter 1 scene. Jesus ascends, as we said. The church goes to Jerusalem. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, and they're praying. For ten days, the, the uh, Pentecost doesn't come for ten days. They have a ten-day prayer meeting. And as we speculated, what were they praying about? All manner of things. But the future and, and the Spirit's coming and, and God's blessing. And then when Pentecost comes, what a day that was. The Spirit descends as prophesied in the Old Testament. Peter stands up among these, these thousands and preaches boldly that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He has been raised from the dead. Salvation, eternal life is found in Him. And that day, 3,000 people are saved. And we can't help but think that part of the reason for such success is, in part, the church's 10-day prayer meeting before that. Yes, this event is unique, it, it, it was prophesied to happen, but God often uses the prayers of his saints to precede great works of God in redemptive history. We see this even in the birth of Christ, that that's, uh, Simeon is in the temple. Anna, he's, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, and, and I'm sure praying. Anna had devoted herself to praying. And Christ comes. In the book of Acts, we see that it's Cornelius. This is an individual now. Cornelius' prayers are used by God for the, the outpouring of the spirits on the Gentiles. We also see in the book of Acts, in chapter 8, that when the Spirit first came to Samaria, the Gospel first came to Samaria, the apostles sent Peter and John down there, and they came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Once again, this is a unique event. The gospel is going from Jerusalem to Samaria and to the other parts of the world. The apostles are praying and the Spirit comes on these people. So when God works in, in mighty ways, He often uh, does that after his people have gathered corporately to pray. We've seen that in, in the introduction here of what happens every time, I don't know for certain, but I'm going to say almost every time that a revival breaks out in the history of Christianity, before that, saints are gathering to pray. We see... <clears throat> The Spirit's power come mightily through praying. We see this also in Acts chapter 4. This was read for us. Peter and John, they're brought before the council. They're told not to preach Christ. The, the hostility to the gospel is, is heating up. They're released. 
And then they lift their voice together to God. And they pray. We don't know if this is just Peter and John or the whole church is now praying. And just a side note, all these prayers and acts are filled with Scripture. Scripture guides their, their praying. They pray, why do the, the Gentiles rage, the kings of the earth? This is Psalm 2. They, they reveal what, what has happened to Jesus was by God's ordained plan. And then they play in Acts 4.29, And now, Lord, look on their threats. The heat is up. <clears throat> the opposition to the message of the Messiah is greater than it was. They're, they are threatening us. They haven't killed us yet, but, but their threats are getting greater and greater, Lord. And we're feeling it. And we may be tempted to, to not speak as boldly as, as we ought. We may be tempted in this threat, in this opposition, to, to sort of simmer down a bit. But behold their threats, Lord, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Continue to give us boldness. Continue to give your gospel advancement among the peoples around us. Give us the Spirit's strength and power. We, we feel weak. We feel their threats. We feel that we may become cowardly. And so give us spiritual strength. And when they prayed, the place they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, I don't know about you, but... For once in my life, I want to be in a prayer meeting where there's an earthquake after the prayers are said. The place was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. The power of the Spirit was so upon them that it caused physical shifting among them. And what comes with the Spirit's healing? They continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. They didn't back down. They didn't cower away amidst the threats. And they get greater as we get through the book of Acts. People die. People are imprisoned. It, it, it gets more hostile. But they continued to speak the Word of God. Why? The Spirit of God was upon them. Because they were praying for the Spirit of God's strength and power so that the gospel can advance. We need the Spirit's power and strength to live the Christian life. And we need to pray for the Spirit's power and strength. Not just individually, we must pray corporately together for the Spirit's power in our lives. As we're reminded from that verse in Zechariah, from the, the, the talk on revival, not by might, nor by power, 
but by my spirit. And how do we have that spirit's power and strength? By praying. So as we pray corporately, we experience, we have a greater experience of the spirit's power and strength. And lastly here, what happens when the church prays corporately? There are opportunities for gospel advancement. There are opportunities for gospel advancement. We must pray for more opportunities and open doors to share the gospel. The Apostle Paul asks this a couple times in his letters. Colossians 4, verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Pray for us, Paul says. Pray for an open door, an opportunity to declare the mystery of Christ. Pray for clarity. Pray for boldness. Pray for opportunity for us to speak the gospel. Or he says this in Ephesians as well. Verse 6, verse 19 of chapter 6. And also, for me, pray for me, Paul says, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Pray that God gives me words. Pray that God gives me bold speech. Aren't you glad Paul prays for bold speech? I think when we think of Paul, oh, he's, he doesn't have a problem being bold. But he's human. So he says, pray, pray that my mouth boldly proclaims the gospel, clearly proclaims, give me openings. So we must pray for opportunities and openings for declaring the gospel. When God is about to open a door for gospel advancement, he often begins by having the church praying. I remember, and this was around 2008, I was helping my grandma teach our Good News Club, which is a ministry of child evangelism fellowship, a Bible club for for kids. We taught it at our church. My grandma taught it for many years. And I'll tell this story from my perspective, and then I'll tell this story from my grandma's perspective. From my perspective, she talked about there was a Supreme Court decision where we're illegally allowed to go into public schools and have Good News Club programs. And I thought that's great. And so one night I told my grandma, well, why don't we start a Good News Club program at our local public school? Which shocked my grandma. From her perspective, she had heard about this. And she had been praying for people to go into the the school. And then God had used my question to bring it home by the Spirit that it was her that she was praying for to go. And as we took steps to enter a public school, we had learned that other people had been praying 
without our notice, to be going into the same public school system. And, and God brought us together and started this in, in 2008 that quickly actually spread to more than one school and, and continued up until the, the pandemic. I'm not sure the status of it now and the complications of that. But where did this opportunity in all the years, and I really wasn't involved too long, but it, it continued. And all of the students that, that, that were reached uh, or are still being reached through this program, where did that opportunity begin? Saints praying. And they didn't have a corporate prayer meeting, but we see the work of God by the Spirit of God gathering more than one person and praying. So we need to come together and we need to pray that God gives us opportunities. As you're, as you're seeking to share the gospel in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in community, in spheres of influence, bring those prayers to the prayer meeting and ask that we pray together for opportunity and boldness and words and clarity. Just like the apostle asked the church to pray for him. As we seek corporately as a church of what are effective ways for us to reach the community as a church, we should pray. We are praying. We should continue to pray and be encouraged to continue to pray that God brings that right opportunity, that right thing at the right time with the right people and bless that for gospel good. Because when God's people gather and pray for opportunities and boldness and clarity. God brings opportunities and boldness and clarity. We see that in the scripture, and we've seen that, I'm sure, uh, in, in many of our lives. So opportunities for gospel advancement come when the church gathers corporately. In conclusion, by, by way of illust- one more illustration... This past week, a man by the name of George Verwer died. You may know that name. You may not know that name. I was not familiar with this man. He, was, uh, he eventually began the missions organization called Operation Mobilization, which today has 3,311 workers representing more than 110 nationalities bringing God's truth to millions every year. And I was reading a tribute to him by, by someone else. He was a bit of an eccentric figure. He would wear a, a, a gym pull-up blazer that had a world map on it, and he would carry a world, big world map on him when he's talking about world missions. So, uh, <clears throat> But very passionate about global missions and use. And I thought this, this one story about his life was, was interesting. He was a student at Moody. He was 21, and he was leading an all-night prayer meeting there. And a man showed up to that prayer meeting, and this is what, the, <clears throat> this, is what this writer says. Hoping to find donuts and girls, a Wheaton College student named Greg Livingstone showed up at the prayer meeting. Instead of girls, he found a group of young men kneeling over world maps on the floor. Verwer put his finger in Greg's face and said, What country are you claiming? 
Having no idea what that meant, Greg said, what's left? Verwer said, you've got Libya. And I want to highlight the influence of this prayer meeting on this one man, Greg. This man, Greg, went back that night a changed man from that prayer meeting. He switched his major to Bibles at Wheaton. And this man went on to found Frontiers Ministry, which is used uh, to reach exclusively Muslim groups of people in the world today. As a result, bouncing from this one prayer meeting that this college student brought together to pray for world missions. Things happen when God's people pray. Things happen when God's people pray together. Leaders are added to the churches. Ministries are given success. Hindrances to the gospel are removed. Greater experience of the Spirit's power and strength come and more opportunities to share the gospel. Do we want to see these things in our day? Well, let us draw together to ask our Heavenly Father for such things. He delights to answer such things prayers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have so delighted and chosen to enter this mess of clay material and make something beautiful. We thank you that you are not just involved in the world in judgment, but also in redemption. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the church. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing you've given on our corporate prayers. We ask that our praying would be more effective, would be more diligent, would be more faithful. And, Lord, we might see some great answers to prayers in the areas that we've covered tonight. We ask that you would use our prayers to raise up leaders in your churches, to send people to the mission field. We ask for greater experience of the Spirit's power and strength. We ask for hindrances in the, to the gospel to be removed. So we experience such a spiritual darkness even in our own land. Might we see a breakdown in that for spiritual good? Might we have opportunity, both as a church and as individuals, to share Christ with those around us with much fruit. We ask that you would answer our feeble prayers from, our feeble, uh, from a feeble people that we are by your grace, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.